Last week, we began a sermon series called Something Greater is Here. This whole series is about connecting Jesus to the events of the Old Testament. Now, sometimes we treat those events in the Old Testament as bad and the New Testament events as good, or we treat the Old Testament as outdated and what God does in the New Testament as fresh. But what God does in the Old Testament is good and just and merciful and compassionate, and what God does in Christ is greater. That's how Jesus constantly describes his relationship to the events of the Old Testament. He says, something greater is here. So each week in this sermon series, we're going to focus on three things. First, there's going to be some sort of deep human desire. We'll talk about how God then satisfies that desire in some way in the Old Testament and then fulfills that desire in an even greater way in Jesus Christ. So last week what we did was we talked about the deep human desire for the truth. But we also recognize that sometimes we only like parts of the truth. We reject uh, the parts that we don't like. Uh, We recognize the fact that sometimes the truth doesn't really fit into our preconceived notions. So we try to kind of get rid of the truth. And we saw that all play out in the story of Jonah, that God sent a message of truth through Jonah in the Old Testament to a people who needed the truth. But Jesus came as the truth in person, in flesh among us. What God did in the Old Testament was good. But what God did in the New Testament through Christ is greater. And this week, we're focusing on the deep human desire to be loved. Um, over the Christmas break, Alice and I saw the, the new rendition of Little Women, uh, and we really enjoyed it. Uh, we loved one character in particular named Joe, who struggles with this relationship with this boy throughout the movie. And she gives this great speech. She's talking to her mom, and she says, I'm so tired of everyone thinking that love is all a woman, a woman is fit for. I'm so sick of it. She pauses. And then she confesses, but I'm so lonely. I just want to be loved. And in this moment, her mom wisely says, but that is not the same thing as loving someone. There is a difference between our desire to love others... And our desire to be loved by others. We want others to love us, to cherish us, to delight in us, to appreciate who we are. Now, in its worst form, that desire means we don't really mind if if people pretend to love us as long as they don't say anything bad about us. But in its best form, that desire comes from the fact that we are made for love. We just know in our bones that love is good for our souls like food is good for hunger. And so many of us, so many of us are starved for love. And this morning is about two stories about people who want to be loved. 
There once was a man sitting by a well all by himself. A woman comes to the well in need of water, and she greets this man. And in this time, wells are places where brides and grooms would meet. But these two don't think about it that way at first. They have a conversation with each other, but, but one thing changes their interaction completely. One thing transforms this random interaction, this random coincidence, into a providential meeting. And that one thing is when the man's identity is revealed. Because when the woman knows who he is, she runs back to her village and tells them. Her whole people, her whole tribe comes to see who this man is. And they realize that this man is not just any other man. He is a potential groom. I'm talking about a man named Jacob. If you don't know Jacob, Jacob is someone who you love but also drives you crazy. I mean, you feel for him because he isn't loved by the people that you know should love him. He isn't loved by his father Isaac. He isn't loved by his brother Esau. And he isn't loved by his uncle Laban. All the men in his life won't give him the kind of love and affection he craves. But even though you feel for him, he also drives you crazy because he's just deceptive. Sometimes he's just a weasel. I mean, he drives you crazy because he always believes the ends justify the means. The reason his brother Esau hates him is because Jacob tricks his father, receives the inheritance and blessing and birthright that he did not deserve. Jacob will do whatever it takes to get what he thinks he should have. Jacob is clearly an unloved man in search of love. And he finally finds love in a woman named Rachel, who he meets at a well. They greet each other with what was common in that day, a familial kiss. But he realizes that she's part of his tribe, part of his people group. And he's all by himself. He's away from his family, banished by his brother's hatred. He's all alone. And then he finds Rachel. Rachel realizes that this is a kinsman of hers, and she runs back to her village. She tells her old family, and her father, Laban, runs to come and see him. And Laban realizes this is not just any other man. This is a potential groom. And I, I know that this is so strange for us. It's a different time and different place. But in this time period... Marrying someone within your tribe was seen as even better than marrying someone outside your tribe. And you can tell that Jacob actually loves Rachel because he agrees to work for seven years for Laban to be able to marry her. He's so infatuated with her that the Bible says all seven years passed like a few days in Jacob's eyes. God gives Jacob a wife whom he loves. God did not have to do this. God did it solely out of his generosity. It is an absolutely beautiful thing. God fulfills this desire in Jacob's life for someone who loves him. 
But the story isn't exactly happily ever after because Laban, Jacob's new father-in-law, deceives Jacob. After a late night at the wedding ceremony and probably a lot of drinking, Jacob takes the woman that he believes to be Rachel. But she is not. It's Leah, her younger sister. He has not slept with the sister whom he loves. And because he went through the wedding night, Leah is his bride. There is no way out of it in this culture. So Jacob, after being very frustrated with this, agrees to work another seven years for Laban in order to marry Rachel. He spends 14 years of his life seeking after this love from her. And it is no surprise to anyone reading this story that Jacob's family becomes very dysfunctional very quickly. The Bible says that Jacob openly and obviously loves Rachel more than Leah. It's even said that Leah is the hated wife. We can see that when Leah... Leah is trying to have children. She's actually trying to earn Jacob's love. She has one son named Reuben, and she says, Surely now my husband will love me. After her second son, Simeon, Leah says, The Lord has heard that I am hated. He has given me this son also. After her third son, Levi, Leah says, Now, maybe this time my husband will be joined to me because I have borne him three sons. Each and every time we see that Leah is trying to earn his love through their sons. But after her fourth son, Judah, all she does is say, This time I'll praise the Lord. The story is so tragic. We see so much failure to love well, even when everyone in the story clearly so deeply desires to be loved. There once was a man sitting by a well all by himself. A woman comes along in need of water and greets him, and they both know from all the stories they grew up hearing that this is the place where brides and grooms meet. And they have a really interesting conversation, this man and this woman, but one thing changes their interaction completely. It transforms it from a, a random coincidence to a providential meeting, and the one thing is this man's identity, which he reveals to her. And when she knows who he is, she runs back to her village, back to her people. They have to know the identity of this man, and they all come to see him. And they realize this man is not just any other man. He is a groom in search of a bride. I'm talking about a man named Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, he is someone you love and who drives you absolutely crazy at the same time. Because he knows things he shouldn't. He says out loud what no one else realizes or, or what everyone else is too afraid to say. One time, he's traveling through an area that other Jews like him never would have gone through. He's in a land called Samaria. And his disciples go into town to get some food. And they leave him by a well when a Samaritan woman approaches him with a jar. If this was 
other Jewish man. They never would have spoken. The Samaritan woman asked the question that anybody in this time period would ask, why are you talking to me? She has very good reason. Jews and Samaritans do not associate with each other. They have so much history and baggage and hatred for one another, they wouldn't even speak. And even worse than these ethnic differences between them, this is a man and a woman alone. And in an honor-shame society, you're not supposed to interact with a woman alone. This is scandalous. But on top of all that scandal, it's worsened by the fact that she is not the most respected woman in town. We know that she's living and sleeping with someone who isn't her husband. We know that she's had multiple husbands prior to the man she's living with now. We don't know if she was the one who was at fault in the marriages before. We don't know if it was the men who were at fault. All we know is that women could not initiate divorce. So five times, back to back to back to back to back, this woman is divorced and set aside by the men in her life. Her isolation is the one thing that is absolutely clear. Most women would go to the well in the morning when it was still cool, but when does she go? She goes in the middle of the day to avoid any other contact with any other women. She is clearly an unloved woman in search of love. And as it turns out, Jesus is not any other man. He's the Messiah. He is the long-awaited King of Israel who has come to his people, and he reveals that information to her. And you've got to know that if you've read the story so far in the Gospel, Jesus has not done that with any other person. He's chosen one woman to say, I am speaking to you and the Messiah. Why is he talking to her? That's the question. Well, maybe he's talking to her because he wants us to see ourselves in her. After all, he is meeting her at a well. And in the Old Testament, if a man meets a woman at a well, we know a proposal is coming soon. Isaac meets Rebecca at a well. Jacob meets Rachel at a well. Moses meets Zipporah at a well. This story is presenting Jesus and the Samaritan woman as groom and bride. Just a chapter before this, John the Baptist says, I am a friend of the bridegroom talking about Jesus. All of the similarities to the Old Testament are there except for one major difference. Jesus is looking for a bride called the church, not an individual woman. So the Samaritan woman is a symbol of his bride. You should see yourself in her. I should see myself in her. I am a man with a difficult past, with failures I don't want anyone else to know about. I feel unworthy to talk to Jesus, but Jesus still reveals himself to me. We should see ourselves in the Samaritan woman. 
we should see ourselves in her sinful past, her shame, her loneliness. We should see our lives all summed up in her. We have an answer to the Samaritan woman's question. Is Jesus greater than Jacob? Yes. He is greater than Jacob because he doesn't ask us to earn his love. Leah tries over and over and over again, and you can even hear it in her words. Maybe now my husband will love me. But Jesus doesn't make you do that. He knows our faults, just like he knows the faults of the Samaritan woman, but they do not prevent his love. He does not wait for us to become lovable in order to love us. He loves you right now. Full stop. No qualifier, no disclaimer necessary. He loves you. He does. Right now. And He doesn't make you try to earn it. He's also greater than Jacob because He identifies with the unloved. Just picture Leah's life for a second. Her dad forces her to go to the marriage tent with Jacob. She did not do anything wrong. And guess what? Jacob, her husband, hates her for it. He doesn't identify with her. He doesn't feel bad with her. He doesn't realize that she's she's a pawn in Laban's game. He just doesn't love her. But Jesus, on the other hand, identifies with the unloved. Isaiah 53, 2 says, The Messiah has no beauty that we should desire Him. John 1, 1 says about Jesus, He came to His own people and they received Him not. He knows what it's like to be unloved. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be hated. And Jesus decides to come into the world, not through the line of Rachel, but through the line of Leah. Did you catch that? Leah's fourth son is named Judah. And Jesus decides to come through him, through the unloved mother, not the beautiful bride of Rachel. He knows what it's like to be unloved. If you have ever been unloved, if you've ever been rejected, if you've ever been hated, He knows what it's like because He identifies with the unloved. He's also greater than Jacob because His love makes us lovely. Jacob sees Rachel's beauty... And then loves her for it. She is lovely and therefore Jacob loves her. But with Jesus, his love is so much greater because his love is so powerful it makes us lovely. Paul tells us that Christ makes the church without spot, without wrinkle, without anything of the kind. Without blemish. 
The Apostle Jude says, To him who is able to keep you from falling and to make you stand without blemish in the presence of his glory. His love makes us lovely. There's a deep human desire to be loved. And it is so amazing and such a gift that God gives us so many people in our lives who may love us. Whether it's your best friend, whether it's your your parent, whether it's your spouse, whoever it is. Those people in your life who love you, they are a gift. But no human can fully fulfill this desire. We are all like Jacob. Our love is tainted by favoritism and superficiality and envy. It's just not as good as Christ's love. No human can love you perfectly. Only Christ. Um, There's this incredible uh, translation of the Bible called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And sometimes you think of a whole sermon and then you read someone else and they just, they said it all before you. Uh, It's kind of embarrassing, but it's also humbling that God can share through so many people one meaning from one different passage. And I just, I love the way that it summarizes the, the story of Leah for kids. The Jesus Storybook Bible says this, when, when God saw that Leah was not loved and that no one wanted her, God chose her to love her specially, to give her a very important job because one day God was going to rescue the whole world through Leah's family. When Leah knew that God loved her in her heart, suddenly it didn't matter anymore whether her husband loved her the best. Someone had chosen her. Someone did love her with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always, forever love. And you'll never guess what job God gave Leah. When God looked at her, he saw a princess. Sure enough, that's what she became. One of Leah's children's children's children would be a prince, the prince of heaven, God's son. And that prince would love God's people. They wouldn't need to be beautiful for him to love them. He would love them with all of his heart, and they would be beautiful because he loves them. And the last two words are like Leah. We should see ourselves in the Samaritan woman and in Leah. And the good news is that something or someone greater is here. There is a better groom who loves his bride, the church, perfectly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us perfectly. Help us to seek out our desire to be loved primarily and ultimately in you. We thank you for all the people in our lives who have loved us. We know that that's a gift. We should never take it for granted. But help us to seek after your love. It's perfect. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
see it, especially uh, working with you.